to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Sponsorship is clearly important to the banking industry with some of the world's biggest and longest standing sponsorships involving banks. For example, HSBC and World Rugby, Bank of America and Major League Baseball. In Australia, banks have been a staple for many sports, events and community groups and that includes Westpac Group's brands including Westpac itself, St George, Bank of Melbourne, Bank SA and Rams. Their portfolio of sponsorships is varied and it includes the iconic Westpac Lifesaver Rescue Helicopter Service, the City to Surf Fun Run, Invictus Games, St George Bank Dragons in the National Rugby League, St George Queensland Reds in the Super Rugby and the world famous Melbourne Cricket Ground and the Melbourne Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Pat Cunningham is the Head of Sponsorship and Events at Westpac Group. Pat's sponsorship roles have been at some of the world's most recognisable brands including Vodafone and TUI, which was formerly Thompson, and is Europe's largest travel organisation. It's a fantastic chat with Pat later on in the show when he joins us. Welcome to episode 63 of Inside Sponsorship. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston, and it is great to have you listening into the show. As you know, we love to hear from you, the listeners, about what cool projects you're working on, what sponsorships you're looking after, where you're working, or whereabouts in the world you are. So be sure to get in touch, and I'll give you a shout out. And that's exactly what Glenn Paul did. Glenn's a professional golfer and coach, motivator, and tailor-made Adidas home pro staff. Glenn contacted me and connected on LinkedIn and shot me a message that said, Hi, Daniel. I I've just started listening to the podcast. I'm loving the content and the value it provides. So I just want to reach out and connect. It's been good to draw on some bits to utilize in my own search for sponsorship, but also on the other side of the coin with my coaching. Love it. Thanks for getting in contact, Glenn. Now, our great friends at Rostify have some super exciting news that is so awesome. We just wanted to share it with you. So I quickly jumped on a call and got the lowdown from co-founder Shannon Gove. Shannon Gove, congratulations to you and the Rostify team on Expo 2020 Dubai appointing Rostify, which everybody knows is the world's fastest growing event workforce management solution platform. So they've appointed you to support and engage the Expo's large team of employees and volunteers. (laughs) Tell us, where were you when you found out about the appointment and what was your first response? Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, look, it was a long negotiation, as you can, you guys can well imagine. Uh, I was actually up at my business partner's house. We coincidentally live in the same apartment block, so I went upstairs to his and uh, had the final negotiation on a Sunday afternoon, which is Dubai's Monday. And so um, it was pretty exciting to get the final approval and uh, it well deserved to our entire team. So I, I, we're all pretty excited once we finally got that ticked off. It's a, it's quite an incredible event. Um, October 2020 uh, till April 2021 is running for around six months. The best way I explain it is it's like a conference for the world. You have 180 plus countries all having stands, as you can call them, but they are humongous buildings that they showcase the wares of their countries and get people in to speak about it. It's yeah, hosted in Dubai, obviously, so incredible event for that country. We'll have roughly 30,000 volunteers, probably a little more than that, spanning over 1.2 million shifts, uh, which will be completed over the six months. So quite a number um, through the system, which is really exciting for the team. And Rostify is going to play a a key role in managing all of that. Explain sort of the breadth of services and functionality that you're going to help the expo with. 
just picture it as the full end-to-end workforce management solution. So from the initial registrations, um, the screening of the of the volunteers, uh, the matching of those volunteers to the most suitable shifts to suit their skill set, um, all the way through to event time execution with accreditation solutions, which would be another partner, through to post-event appreciation and, and who knows, potentially some legacy at the end of it. So it, it's also with that, then we're building an app um, which will be coming out sometime next year, which will be utilised by all 30,000 volunteers, which we're really excited to see the uptake and how that works. Outstanding. Awesome. Great job. Very exciting. You've got the gig now. You've got to do all that hard work. And we That's definitely right. look forward to to seeing the success in the, in the next couple of years. So thanks for joining us. Fantastic. Thanks for having us, mate. Rostafire, awesome, and really doing some great work right around the world. So if you are looking for better ways to manage your event workforce, then you should do yourself a favor and visit rostify.com. That's R-O-S-T-E-R-F-Y.com. Also joining us on the show, as usual, is a sponsor of Employee. And this time around, we've got Commercial Manager for Australia and New Zealand, Daniel Ferguson, to discuss his latest blog, which dissects the key points around sponsorship from PwC's 2018 Sports Survey. Here's Daniel. Daniel Ferguson, welcome to the show. We're going to chat about PwC's 2018 Sports Survey. Set the scene for us. Tell us a little bit about it. What's it all about? Thanks for the call up again, mate. Uh, Like many around the world, when I started to see the report doing the rounds across my LinkedIn feed, uh, followed the prompts, downloaded the link to take a look. The report's in its third edition, and this time round, it pulls together the views of uh, its 470 sport industry leaders on a range of topics and trends that today's market is either talking about or looking at. And as you were reading it, something really jumped out at you, didn't it? Smacked you in the face a little bit, made you sit back (laughs) and go, whoa, what was it? Yeah, there's some pretty cool insights and stats that paint a picture of how sponsorship's going to look in the coming years. But when you start to read down the page or the front page, that is, there's this one line and it's fairly accentuated and fairly bold. And that's that 56.3% of industry leaders believe that senior management at global sponsors are behind the curve. Now, I don't know how well this is going to sit with today's podcast guest, but for me, that's just a big whack in the face, uh, especially given that as an industry, we expect steady growth over the next few years in revenue streams for sponsorship and advertising, digital media rights, hospitality, etc. So I find it hard to accept our thoughts on steady growth in sponsorship because uh, on one hand, we believe that sponsors just don't get it. And then on the other, we expect them to pay more to keep sponsoring us. Uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think that that's silly. No, I would agree. I don't think they're that silly. And it is a pretty sort of staggering finding from the report that 56.3% of industry leaders believe that senior management at global sponsors are behind the curve. It, I don't know about you, but it sits a little bit uneasily in my stomach. So I thought what I might do is to unpack that a little bit. You said that there were some great stats and findings in the report. I also thought there was some great quotes, and I thought we might shape our little chat around some of those quotes. So what I want to do is, is throw one or two or three at you. And get your thoughts and then we'll see where that leaves us. And the first one was from David Delia, Head of Sports Business Advisory at PwC. And he said, as we transition towards greater digital consumption, sports properties that are able to leverage their cross-platform data effectively will be well-placed to help sponsors reach their target audience at a more granular level. Look, there's no arguing that as digital consumption grows throughout the sporting world, so too does the number of opportunities to connect with more targeted audiences. And 
don't get me wrong, this isn't just for sport. This is across every industry that buys and sells sponsorship. This is really alluding to the fact that we're going to see a shift in how sponsorship rights are created and sold over the next few years. As more rights holders get to understand their audience more, they get to dig deeper, they, you know, they look at who are they reaching, how are they reaching them, how are they engaging. Uh, there's so much that, that everyone's going to be looking at in the coming years. The second quote was from Stephanie Vogel. She's the Senior Manager Sports Business Advisory at PwC, and she said, the times when sponsors could solely rely on the approach of a turnkey sponsorship package are clearly over. There's a really big message here for both brands and rights holders, and I think everyone is in agrees with it in that the days of the traditional sponsorship package are absolutely dead and gone. It's like hanging on to that haircut from the 80s or the, the jeans that we really need to toss. And I was I was actually chatting with Stephanie after the report came out, and, and what she's saying here is that brands and rights holders can't expect to piece together sponsorship deals using the same inventory without any creativity or flexibility and, and then expect different results year on year. She's saying it's going to become really important to develop multiple sub-strategies for different types of assets or sections within the deal. And I 100% agree. For example, how and why a brand engages with an audience through OTT content is completely different to the reasons why they run an activation at a game or an event. Third and final quote I wanted to put to you is from Chris Guinness, head of Asia Pacific for IMG. And Chris said, it is now a top priority for all rights holders to develop a direct relationship with their consumers. The message off the back of this should be glaringly obvious, and that's that it's all about the fans. And I really hope that anyone that reads this report actually sees that. And what this is actually saying is that branded content and consumer behaviours are going to be big players in how we structure sponsorship deals in the coming years. Whether this is delivered through the rights holder or the brand, being able to build relationships with a specific audience and then have the capacity to deliver a targeted message is absolutely critical. So with that said, it's no real surprise that shifts in consumer behaviours are major threat to how we deliver sponsorship, particularly when we continue to see a rise in different methods of delivery, such as you know, your smartphones, tablets, laptops, gaming, etc. There's so many different ways these days. A lot of what's in the report, and particularly the things we've spoken about with those three points, aren't generally earth-shattering findings, apart from the 56.3% the, the of industry leaders believing that senior managers <laughs> uh, at global sponsors are behind the curve. But the other things around you know, traditional sponsorship packages aren't dead and we need to really look how we can build collaborative sponsorship packages for people and the priorities are changing. Really, the report underlines those things and on a meta level that makes sense it's made sense for a number of years my question for you is do you think that rights holders are these days now that we've known those things for quite some time they're being underlined and reinforced by this report but do you think rights holders these days are reasonably well placed to start addressing those things the sponsorship space is getting more and more complex by the day so the, the delivery of sponsorship needs to stay aligned with where and how brands uh, want their message consumed. So for me, looking at this report and the broader findings, and to answer your question, it's probably an ugly question looming in the background, and that's do we actually have the right type of people or skill sets selling and constructing our sponsorship deals? <laughs> Funny you say that because I think that opens up a whole can of worms, probably a conversation for another time. You may have just 
uh, volunteered yourself and found the next topic for <laughs> your next blog and the next chat uh, on the podcast. So, listeners, if you want to read more about PwC's 2018 sports survey, just Google it or you can head along to sponsor.net, head to the resources section, look for the blog. We've put a link uh, in Daniel's blog that he recently has put up on the website. Uh, and, of course, if you want to read through all of that in more detail, that's all there in the blog as well. Thanks for spending some time with us, Daniel. Thanks again, mate. In Australia, banks have been a staple for many sports teams, events and community groups. And that includes Westpac Group's brands, including Westpac itself, St George, Bank of Melbourne, Bank SA and Rams. Their portfolio of sponsorships is varied and Pat Cunningham is charged with being the head of sponsorship and events for the whole Westpac Group. And Pat's sponsorship roles have been at some of the world's most recognisable brands, including Vodafone and Tui. And he joins us now on the show. Here's Pat. Pat, welcome to Inside Sponsorship. We always start with a few easy icebreaker questions just to get into the flow of the chat and to help the audience get to know you a little bit. We don't want to be all serious. We don't want to be all business. But you do work in the banking sector where management of money is a serious business. Growing up, when you used to get pocket money, were you good at saving it or did it just burn a hole in your pocket? Oh, look, I was definitely a big spender. Uh, Whatever I earned, I, I kind of spent pretty quickly. But I guess as I've grown up, you know, I've learned uh, the, a few better habits, if, if you like, around um, the importance of saving. And, and there are also things that I'm trying to instill on my kids at the moment as well. Very good. Now, banks position themselves as a great place to save your money. What is the first big thing you remember saving for? Look, I was uh, and still am a pretty big basketball fan, so I always had uh, aspirations of wearing Air Jordans, thinking that would make me play better. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. So I remember uh, stashing away the pocket money and uh, and, and unleashing on a, a new pair of Air Jordans. Um, but, you know, well, I guess the other big one was probably my first car as well, which, um, you know, it took a little bit longer to save for that one. Classic Air Jordans. Now, straight from university, you moved into a sponsorship role. Can you tell us about the roles you've had over the years, including your current one now? Yeah, look, I've been very lucky uh, to work in the in the sponsorship industry for, for 20 years now, actually. So both here in Australia and overseas, uh, the, the opportunity to work, I guess, in financial services, which is where I first started up in Suncorp uh, in Brisbane, yeah, it was my first job out of university. It was uh, an opportunity to, to work for a big company. We did a lot of things in, in regional uh, Queensland, a lot, of, uh, a lot of sport, a lot of uh, regional initiatives in the community. So that gave me a real nice taste and, and probably uh, at that point I really realised that it was something I wanted to do long term. Uh, having done six years there, I, I, I jetted off to, to the UK and had a wonderful couple of years working in the travel industry over there and we were involved in a range of sports including English Premier League so I became a Tottenham Hotspur fan through the sponsorship we had Uh, and we also did a number of other little sort of regional initiatives and and then on my return I actually took 12 months off and uh, completed my Masters of Sports Management which I thoroughly enjoyed and you know certainly I've recommended to a few of my colleagues just to get that theoretical component of it that that helps a little bit when you get into the actual day-to-days of your job once I finished that, then had a little bit of time at Vodafone uh, here in Australia and had six wonderful years there working on everything from rugby to, to music uh, to V8 supercars. And then after that, uh, I found myself at Westpac and I've been there now eight and a half years and uh, thoroughly enjoying it. 
Now, some of the world's biggest and longest standing sponsorships involve banks. So, for example, HSBC and World Rugby, uh, Bank of America and Major League Baseball. Why is sponsorship so important in the banking industry? My thoughts on that um, is that, you know, some of those brands you've just mentioned and, and some of the brands I've been working on aren't necessarily, not, aren't necessarily in there for brand awareness exercises. So I guess they're using like, the, the relationships that they develop um, primarily for a lot of retention uh, purposes. So I know certainly in our case, uh, we're using those opportunities to, to thank our customers and also use them for reward and recognition uh, for their long tenure as well. So my perspective is, you know, look, there's certainly individual objectives that each of those brands would have, but I think at the core of that, it's got to be about the customer and I guess rewarding them for their, their tenure and their ongoing customer is really important. As you mentioned, you have responsibility for all of Westpac Group's brands, including Westpac, St George, Bank of Melbourne, Bank SA and Rams. What does the group's sponsorship portfolio look like? It's a pretty diverse one. Uh, I guess, you know, when you've got five different brands, it's really important that each portfolio is quite distinct and quite unique. Basically, it's to ensure we're not cannibalising each other as much as anything. So, you know, first and foremost, we need to make sure whatever we're doing from a sponsorship point of view is servicing that overarching brand narrative. So if you looked at Westpac, for example, you know, our recent work talks a little bit about um, moments that matter and, and help. So community plays a pretty important part to service that and the iconic partnership we have with the rescue helicopters and surf life savings are really natural fit for that. Then when you look at things like St George, Bank of Melbourne, Bank of Say and, and to a degree Rams, you know, really localised opportunities within the markets that they operate. So we look at sort of what our local opportunities are, local challenges, and then try and find a way to use sponsorship to address some of those. Would you estimate that the percentage spend of marketing on sponsorship is about the same for each brand or does it vary? Look, it does vary and I guess that comes down to, I guess, where the brands are positioned at that point in time. So in my case, uh, Westpac's over 200 years old and then we've got Bank of Melbourne who's actually a little bit younger than that at only five or six years old. So, you know, the different marketing mix will change depending on how established the brand is. You know, general rule of thumb for us, you know, and certainly in my career over the last 20 years has been sponsorships generally about 10% of your marketing budget, uh, give or take a few dollars. And how we make that up as far as a Westpac group is, as I said, dependent on you know where the brands are positioned and what's the local uh, challenges at that point in time. With all those brands that we mentioned before under your remit, how do you manage all those teams or their managers week to week? First and foremost, I'm pretty blessed to have a, an outstanding team. Uh, there's, I've got about 12 uh, people that report into me. We, uh, we've, we've structured the team by brand. We just felt that was the best option as opposed to you know, doing it, say, by sport and arts, for example. So we've got dedicated teams on dedicated brands. And to your point, I think the first uh, most important part there is good stakeholder management, both externally and internally. So, you know, certainly they own those relationships uh, and I get involved as and when needed. Uh, but, you know, we also spend a lot of time together, uh, despite the fact we're located in all over Australia, actually, um, people in Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide, uh, even Tamworth. So for us, you know, we try and spend a lot of time together, either on the phone, we get together once a month, uh, but we're also using social media. Um, we've got a WhatsApp group that we're regularly posting 
uh, our work, regularly sharing sort of examples from other brands um, that we've seen around the place, just to sort of get that dialogue going and and spending uh, as much time learning from each other as we possibly can. You mentioned before about how you use some of those sponsorships. Let's go back to that question and, and maybe go a little bit deeper. How would you describe the objectives that, that the different sponsorships that you have are trying to achieve? And I'm curious if any focus, you know, one brand focuses more on the consumer and another brand maybe uses their sponsorship to focus more on business banking? First and foremost, we have three overarching objectives that apply to every brand and every partnership that we have and, and we weight those differently depending on what the relationship is. So, you know, for us, you know, the three are brand differentiation. So that's important for us to, you know, distinguish what's Westpac famous for as opposed to St George, but also distinguish us from our competitors as well. Uh, advocacy is a big metric uh, that particularly, you know, financial services, but all customer-facing brands are after. Uh, so advocacy and net promoter schools are big um, deliverable. And then also revenue, and we measure that through not only you know, bank outcomes, but also, um, you know, acquisition and deepening the share of wallet within our existing customers. So, look, they apply whether it's a consumer or whether it's a business banking approach. And as I said, you know, depending on what the relationship is, we would like that differently. So an example would be for um, the Westpac Rescue Helicopters. You know, we, we don't do any acquisition work around that. So for us, it's very much around brand differentiation and advocacy. Whereas some of our football teams, the St. George Laura Dragons or Queensland Rugby Union or Port Adelaide, we'd probably upweight the revenue component of that both at a, a consumer level but also from a B2B perspective. You mentioned you spend a lot of time cross-pollination maybe or working together, communicating with each other either you know, on the phone, on the WhatsApp, the social media or getting together a couple of times a year. They've got 10% roughly rule of thumb, 10% of their, their budget to go and execute. Do those teams, do those brands work reasonably independently to determine their spend on the sponsorship and some of that strategy and execution through liaising with you, you know, bottom up, so to speak? So do they bring that to you or is it led more by you at the group level dictating where the brand's should focus and then they're tasked with finding the appropriate sponsorships or the existing sponsorships and the appropriate activations within them? We, we certainly have some group principles, policies and protocols that, that are, I guess, non-negotiable. You, know, you need to have some standards and, and make sure there's the right level of compliance that goes into how we assess opportunities. Um, so, look, you know, that, that's something that I would establish you know, in conjunction with one or two others you know, at a senior level. And then we work very closely with not only our marketing brand leads, but also our distribution leads as well uh, to understand what's this channel or what's this platform of sponsorship going to actually genuinely be able to do, uh, do for us. So, so for me, you know, it's important that everyone's got some skin in the game. Uh, we would sit, sit, sit down and craft the portfolio in a way that it's uh, diverse. It's, it's talking importantly to the priority segments that we're chasing. Uh, and then also how we activate those relationships is really, really important. You know, this is about bringing to life the personality of your brand as much as anything. So we need to make sure that um, what we're saying and how we're saying is quite genuine and authentic to what we're standing for as a brand. You spoke then about a level of compliance with evaluating opportunities. How many requests for sponsorship would you estimate across all of the brands that you'd receive each year? And how do you actually sit down and evaluate all of those? This is going to be quite shocking, but we receive probably over a thousand a year, um, and it's um, 
you know, it's, 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 it's hard to, to manage all of those if I'm brutally honest. So we set up a, uh, a group where we would uh, assess them on a monthly basis. So, you know, when someone sends a proposal in and they want an answer the following day, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, otherwise that's what you're doing every day. Um, so we, we basically put aside a day, a month, where we'll sit down and assess all those proposals that have come in. Look, the reality is we're pretty set with our portfolio. However, it is, you know, definitely worthwhile understanding what's in the market, seeing, you know, what people are doing. And look, there are some wonderful, you know, sort of initiatives out there. Unfortunately, you can't do everything. So we would then look at what we've currently got, what gaps are there, where are we heading in the next couple of years? And if there's one of interest, then we'd probably reach out and go from there. But our, our I guess, response cycle is generally about six to eight weeks, you know, from the time that we receive it. You sit down once a month. I wasn't very good at maths at school, but you know it's roughly sort of eighty to ninety proposals to get through in that month. What's the one thing when you're looking at those proposals that you think rights holders often get wrong? One of the things that probably annoys me the most, if I'm really honest, is when a letter is sent in or a, a proposal and they they address it to the manager and an organisation such as the Westpac Group. You know, we've got 35,000 employees and, you know, there's a lot of managers amongst that. So, to me, it, it kind of just didn't show that they've actually taken the time to identify who's the right person. Um, they'll send it a generic, you know, sort of email or a generic letter. And to be fair, for those ones, it's a fairly easy assessment. You know, we want to see people who desperately want to work with us. They want to understand who we are, what we stand for, and then build a, a tailored package to that. You know, I guess the, the off-the-shelf proposal is something that we've spoken about as an industry for quite some time, and those days are completely gone because we're all doing sponsored for different reasons. So for me, you know, the piece of advice I'd give it would be to take the time, understand who the right person is that's going to be assessing the opportunity, uh, make sure that it's relevant, make sure it's just not a generic one, uh, make sure you put the right company name in there. I get a lot of proposals for Telstra, even though I work for Westpac. And uh, make sure that, you know, you're, you're putting in that effort because it makes a big difference as to whether or not it's proper sort of audience or not. Wow, I can't believe you get proposals sent for Telstra. Thinking about all the sponsorships you've been involved in, because some of them will get through, some of them you will support, you've got your existing portfolio. But thinking about all the sponsorships you've been involved with at Westpac Group, what's been your favourite to work on and why? The one that um, actually drew me into the business eight and a half years ago was the the iconic Westpac Rescue Helicopter um, Partnership, and that's 45 years of, of amazing partnership between two um, organisations. And I guess the reason that you know I love it so much is it's just a genuine purpose to it, and there's a genuine benefit to the community. So over 80,000 people have been rescued uh, over those 45 years and no one's ever had to pay. And that's not just because of us as, as an organisation, that's because of the community fundraising and government investment. But I just look at, you know, the emotion that sits in and around that partnership and you see the selflessness of the people who work there, uh, not only in the helicopter but behind the scenes. And it's just a wonderful organisation to be able to support. And for me, the as I said, it actually drew me to Westpac um, and eight and a half years later, it still is, I guess, my favourite one uh, to work on. And, you know, we're continually trying to find ways that we can help celebrate those uh, those men and women who, who service um, in, the, in, in the actual chopper, uh, but also, you know, celebrate some of the great stories of people who have been rescued and gone on to live very, uh, you know, healthy lifestyles as, as a result of that. 
And we often talk on this show about how storytelling is so important in sponsorship, both in terms of a, a, a rights holder trying to sell sponsorship to uh, sponsors and also sponsors using that storytelling in an activation. And, and something like the Westpac Rescue Chopper has so many great emotional stories and how lives then change and, and turn out that you must get some great material. But what about a specific activation in any sponsorships you've been involved with at Westpac Group? What's been your favourite and why with a specific activation within a sponsorship? The one that I'd probably talk to again has, has a fair amount of um, purpose uh, to that we've anchored the activation off and it, it's somewhat a partnership within a partnership. So under the St George brand, we sponsor the Queensland Rugby Union and one of the great things we've been able to do with them is help get off the ground a modified rugby program. And this is for uh, an organisation called Ginger Cloud. This is about providing, I guess, uh, an opportunity for kids who might have some learning difficulties, uh, in this case, autism, who can actually still enjoy what rugby is all about, but in a safe environment with modified rules, you know, I guess, relevant to what their condition might be. And you know, it started off with just one club playing, you know, an inter, inter, an inter-club game, and now it's grown to be multiple clubs in multiple states. And the ability to see the kids run around there, which is great, um, but also see the look on mum and dad's face who can sit on the sideline and see their child run around, that's been something I've been really uh, proud of uh, as an organisation that we can get involved in. And, and just a different way, I guess, of activating a, a, a traditional football sponsorship uh, in something that actually has some kind of community benefit to it as well. Excellent. Sounds outstanding. Which rights holder has impressed you the most in your career? Not necessarily in terms of overall approach, yet it can be if that's what you choose, but maybe I'm looking for potentially just in a one-off instance or, or interaction that really surprised you, that really made an impression that, and that you think that other rights holders could learn from. I'll look, I'd probably re- refer to my time in the UK, um, to be honest. And as I said, I did a lot of work with Tottenham Hotspur um, Football Club. And there was a guy there called Matt House. He was at, actually the head of commercial. And, and, and Matt and I actually butted heads quite a fair bit to start with, to be honest. And um, and that was basically I was pushing you know, pretty hard for for an outcome and, and and certainly there were things that probably weren't even feasible, to be honest. Um, but I guess you know what Matt did very well and we've grown to become really good mates and have been for quite some time, was that his approach was he understood what I was asking, he understood why I was asking it, and then actually rather than say no, he kind of said no, but what about this? So he actually found a way uh, to actually deliver on what I was trying to achieve, maybe just through a different avenue. So I guess for me, you know, that's something that we're constantly working with our, our partners on is, you know, no is not the end of the sentence. You know, no, but what about this is kind of what we're trying to educate our partners into to working with us on. I used to work for a guy, and I might have told this story on the podcast before, I can't actually remember, but I used to work for a guy. I used to say no to a lot of the ideas, and one day he said to me, you've got to change your thinking into, it's not a no, this is a how can we challenge. And it, and it changes your mindset in, in terms of looking for different ways to, to get the same outcome that the, the way that that person is asking for or presenting isn't just a black or white yes or no. It's more about going, well, how do we get from point A to point B if we don't follow that path? Because where we are trying to go with this is important. Yeah, I guess the, the, the point there with Matt in my example was also 
you know, he understood where we wanted to go. It was just, you know, he had probably a different view and probably a better way, you know, most of the on most of the occasions on how to get there. So I think context is probably, you know, at the core of that. And and by understanding, you know, what we're trying to achieve, you know, on both sides of the fence, you know, really does make it a far more, I guess, uh, easier relationship to work with and, and hopefully mutually beneficial as well. Now, looking at your work history, you aren't the type of person who works somewhere for just one or two years and then moves on to the next challenge. You stay somewhere for a, a good period of time. How does that play out, do you think, as an advantage when managing sponsorships? I think the biggest benefit with that would be, you know, certainly context uh, and those that ability to build long-term relationships. So, you know, when we're sort of renegotiating a deal, you know, I can look back on, you know, what we looked at three years ago, five years ago and, and build that into my, my negotiation strategy moving forward. Uh, but those relationships in the in the Westpac portfolio in particular is one that's, you know, very much about long-term sustainable relationships. You know, we've we've had 40 years with the St. George Illawarra Dragons. We've had 45 years with the Choppers, you know, 16 years with Open Air Cinema. So they're long-term relationships. So those 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 um, personal relationships you can develop um, really make uh, a far more enjoyable experience, I guess, for everyone. But also for me, I can also learn from my mistakes, I guess, as well. And, and we make plenty of those along the way and, and what not to do maybe the next time you face a similar situation. Hope you don't mind me saying, but the banking sector isn't really renowned for fast-moving innovation. Does that impact your role at all, or do you operate a little bit, so to speak, outside the fence when rights holders want to execute something with you that is maybe a little bit different, or it's out there, or it's innovative, it has been done before? I'd probably suggest we haven't been, but I think we are becoming uh, more innovative and within the banking sector and, and, you know, the environment that we're now finding ourselves in where, you know, society is becoming almost cashless, isn't it, you know, in terms of, you know, people not carrying, you know, physical coins or, or notes in their wallets, so cards or wearable uh, payment devices are becoming, you know, more and more um, part of our agenda. So I think as a category, we're certainly doing that. Our, our online and, and mobile apps are, are certainly... Uh, very uh, compelling um, and you know we've got some examples too where we've also looked at different ways to become innovative with say the the rescue services so we've invested over the last couple of years in, in drones and unmanned aerial vehicles to see how they can help complement what the choppers are doing so so i think you're right we haven't necessarily been there but i, I would suggest as, as a category um, that we're, we're certainly moving in the right direction and, and you know we have to innovate otherwise you know we'll just be doing the same thing won't be expecting a different outcome um and you know we need to look at different ways in which we can ultimately you know uh, provide a, a better service to our customers and that's what we're here for i think from the outside in at least sponsorships by banks looks comparatively easy to other sectors of sponsorship. Maybe it's the longevity and the stability of banks. I mean, you spoke about Westpac being a 200-year-old brand. Maybe it's that longevity and stability that creates that perception. I'm sure it isn't all roses. What do you find really challenging in the banking sector in executing sponsorships? I guess the the biggest thing is, is relevance and actually understanding and articulating quite clearly and succinctly why you're there. Um, you know, you mentioned before banking is you know one that's you know probably under the microscope at the moment. It has been for a little while. So making sure that you're you're there for authentic and genuine reasons is really important. And getting crisp, I guess, on on why uh, and, and articulating that is is vitally important. 
you know, when we look at what we do, it, it needs to start with an insight. It needs to start with um, how is this relating to what we're standing for as a brand. And I talked about help with Westpac um, previously. So we, we need to anchor that um, program off that and then make sure that we're, we're genuine and authentic at what we're doing. And you know, I think that's probably the biggest challenge. I, I think, you know, certainly banking's getting better at that. And whether that's about supporting uh, segments or, or geographies um, that, that they may want to be servicing, I, I think as a category, we're getting a lot better at that. And, you know, certainly I'm pretty, you know, pretty proud and pretty confident that we're doing a decent job of that. A challenge is always evaluating the success of sponsorships. With all the brands in the group, you have a really wide mix of of rights with some more traditional sponsorships such as stadium naming rights and jersey sponsorships, etc. But then you also have the rights to less traditional sponsorships, come up a couple of times with the Westpac Rescue Chopper, but also open-air cinemas. How do you bring all that together and compare and evaluate that mix of all the properties? Yeah, it's a slight variation in terminology and a lot of people are still talking about return on investment. But, you know, for us, it really is a return on objective, you know. And as I said, I think a little earlier, each of these partnerships are identified and invested in for a specific reason. So that may not always have a revenue outcome. So for us, about having really crisp, you know, sort of metrics up front, you know, that are measurable, that are time sensitive, um, they're relevant, and they're actually specific to the partnerships vitally important. So clearly articulating that up front um, has to be the first slide of any presentation that you do. So then when you sort of retrospectively look at the success of it, you can actually measure back against those um, particular metrics. And, you know, the sum of the parts is also another thing that we look at. So, again, looking at not just in isolation, but actually how has the whole portfolio performed against what we're trying to achieve as a brand. So it is challenging because, as I said, you know, footy team is going to do something different for you than what a a rest patch chopper is going to do. Um, But, again, they've been identified and chosen for a specific reason, so you're just going to uh, be quite single-minded and make sure that you're uh, delivering against the objective of that partnership. Let's contrast. Let's look back at your first role as sponsorship manager at Suncorp and now as head of sponsorship and events at Westpac Group. What do you think are two or three things in the industry that have really changed over that period? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great question because I guess you would hope over 20 years things have changed and certainly it has. Uh, for me, there, there are a couple of things that I'm seeing you know, more so now than ever. Um, particularly the use of data um, to deliver tailored messages, offers, and I guess experiences for your customers. And whereas I think probably back in the, the mid-90s when I first started out, you know, it was kind of just a, a labelling exercise with just big logos on big things was kind of what we tried to achieve. Whereas now we're getting quite uh, forensic, I guess, around consumer behaviours and making sure that what we're saying actually is relevant and actually is the right message to the right person at the right time. So data usage, I think, is a really important one. Yeah, we talked about the accountability um, of, of a return on objective. Um, yeah, the CEO happiness index, as we used to call it back then, doesn't necessarily cut it anymore. So, you know, the chairman's choice doesn't necessarily exist. And I think that's a great thing that, you know, we are making strategic decisions as opposed to just those things that maybe a, a former leader might have been interested in. And I guess the, you know, the other one, which is obvious, is, is just the use of um, digital technology. Uh, and certainly, you know, apps, you know, online social media have really reformed and, and, and changed how we, you know, deliver our message. Um, you know, we have a thirst for information in the moment. So those things weren't necessarily available or 
more developed when I first uh, started. So, yeah, it's a really um, big step change, I guess, in terms of your comm strategy, you know, being anchored off digital. And would you say that those three things pretty much apply to the banking industry as they do generally across the industry? Or is there anything specific that you think you've seen banks change in their approach and execution of sponsorship over that period? I think it's probably consistent with the evolution of, you know, the category and also, you know, the, the banking industry as a whole. Yeah, for me, I guess the the, the, the data thing is the big one. Uh, and that's, you know, primarily because of um, the, um, the, the need to be a little bit more uh, tailored to what we're trying to achieve here. And, you know, without um, knowing who your customer is, you're actually not necessarily, you know, delivering your know, messages, you know, that are relevant to the audience. So that data usage is probably the biggest one that I've seen, you know, in, in my 20 years and the, the importance of just getting really crisp on who that audience is. You spoke before about how that first slide should really talk about the objectives that have been delivered. What about changes in terms of the overall rigour as the sponsorship industry has matured, especially in terms of ensuring that that rights holders have actually delivered everything and detailed reporting is carried out? Do you find that that's being driven more from your side, the sponsor's side, as you you other areas of your business scrutinise your spending, your return on investment, your return on objectives more closely? Or do you think it's more of a push from the rights holders side who want to try and really deliver and retain sponsors? I think it has to be driven by the sponsor. You know, we need to be really crisp again on that sort of, as you mentioned, those key metrics of why, uh, why we're there. And then holding, I guess, your rights holder to account to to deliver against that. I, I, I can recall many a day where we would receive mountains of paperwork on reports and it's delivered this and that. And, you know, to be honest, uh, I think we got a bit drunk on data. You know, back in the day, we didn't know what to do with it. You know, so for, for me right now, I'm, I'm more interested in three or four, you know, pretty punchy sort of, you know, slides that talk about, you know, how did this partnership deliver against what we wanted to achieve? And, and I think you need to hold your rights holder uh, to account. I think they're definitely getting better at it, by the way. Still a long way to go about genuine sort of consumer behaviours as opposed to just, you know, generic demographics, you know. So if someone tells me this is the male-female split and this is how much they earn, it's kind of not enough anymore. Yeah, we need to know what they do with their spare time. We need to know what they're doing, you know, um, with their friends and family. You know, where's their discretionary dollars being spent? And I think that's going to help the rights holder as much as the sponsor to better understand their audience. So so I think, you know, to, to, to answer your question, it starts with us as a sponsor, but, you know, we really you know, need to work pretty hard with our rights holders to get, you know, the right reporting done. Spoken about improving with proposals that are coming across your desk, not addressing them to Telstra, so addressing them to the right uh, business, but then also the right person. We speak about some improvement in reporting. Where else do you think, just generally speaking, the industry is still quite mature and and, and people should really be focusing on for improvement? I would go back to just knowing a lot more about their audience and who their fans are. I think the, the basic demographic information just doesn't cut it you know, anymore. We want to understand a little bit more about their behaviours, um, how often are they interacting, you know, with social media, how often are they on digital platforms. And it's definitely getting there, as I said, I think, um, and you can have all that at your fingertips. You didn't need to know what to do with it, and that's up to the sponsor, you know, to, 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 to face into that. But as an industry, I still don't know, we, I still don't think we know enough about, you know, who's consuming our partnerships, whether it be an arts partnership or a footy team, you know, who's that community, you know, sort of organisation, you know, really appealing to. So I, I would certainly like to see that improve over the next little while. 
How do you keep up with innovation in the sponsorship space and do you keep much of an eye on overseas sponsorships, especially finance-related ones, or do you just look at everything generally? What I do, I, I, I like to talk to a lot of people, to be honest, and you know, I do sort of two to three new coffee meetings a week, and whether that's you know people that I that I know uh, in the industry or whether it's people that I don't know, just to sort of hear what's happening and and, and understand who's in the market. Like most people, you know, I, I would you know jump online and sort of you know subscribe to weekly or daily newsletters that may come out from both here and overseas. Uh, and I do like to go to conferences as well. You know, I had the fortune of going to IEG over in Chicago last year, which was a, a terrific experience actually, just to to meet a whole lot of people, share our programs without worrying about you know someone you know understanding what we're doing or our competitors aren't understanding what we're doing. And it, and it was it was just nice to talk you know around some of the challenges we're facing, you know, some of the things that you know we can actually share and and, and develop off each other and. Yeah, for me, it was it was a wonderful experience. So I, I'd encourage and certainly do with my team to, to get out there and talk to as many people as they possibly can um, and meet people, attend conferences. And and obviously, the other thing we do is we, we were on social media a fair bit. So I would follow, I guess, a lot of brands that I'm interested in personally, but also professionally uh, to see what they're doing. And, you know, what are the campaigns look like? What are their stories looking like? You know, what's the, what's the commentary around their, um, their sponsorship program? I know you haven't worked on the other side of the fence, but if you jumped into the hot seat of a rights holder, the sponsorship manager's seat. What are some of the key lessons you think you would take across from your time working with brands? I guess when you've been pitched a thousand proposals a year over 20 years, it's, you've, <laughs> you've kind of seen it, um, you know, for, for, what it's, for what it is. Uh, and, and I think that would be the biggest thing, you know, and, and I've thought about making the jump, you know, to, to a rights holder. I guess I just like the 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 environment of within which I operate at the moment and it's something that I genuinely love every day. Um, so so I guess the thing that I would take would be how to pitch an idea. Um, importantly, who to pitch it to. Uh, what's the language that you use? Um, the patience of a, of a proposal. You know, we have a million things going on. So um, uh, to receive a letter one day and expect an answer the next isn't going to happen. So I think just understanding how the process works internally. You know, who are the stakeholders involved and actually what do you need to actually tick in terms of the boxes to get this on the consideration set for your head of brand, your head of distribution. Um, they're the things that I guess, you know, over 20 years I've learned, you know, through my career and, and, and I guess that's what I'd bring to that sort of role if that ever happened. Pat, earlier on I asked you to contrast, contrast your first role with your current role as well as what about how banks have approached and executed sponsorship has changed over that period. Looking forward, do you think... How do you think banks approaching the sponsorship space will will change in the next 10 years? Is it going to be a lot? Are there certain directions? I think there will be a couple of things, um, and some will be obvious and and, and potentially some radical. Um, You know, for me, from a banking industry, you know, we we should show unconditional community focus. You know, our organisations live and breathe within the communities we live. So we should do things even if no one's watching. And, And I guess, you know, how you then support things like Westpac helicopters or foundations that you might run has to be positioned appropriately. So that that won't go away. And in fact, we need to do more of that as, as a category. For me, I guess, you know, retention and I guess, you know, spending more time um, focusing on our customers. You know, what are their needs? What are they doing? You know, what are they looking at today and what do they need tomorrow will be part of how we bring to life our partnerships. And 
I actually think there will be a time where, you know, partnership and sponsorship may change in that equity becomes equity in a partnership rather than just a pure sponsored transaction might be something that we look at um, down the track. If it's something you're invested in as an organisation, you know, values aligned, I think there may be a point where we, you know, we're seeing it, I guess, with esports, you know, with a lot of people buying esports teams, that that may not be something uh, too far away from banking industries as well. Very interesting. Pat, if people want to get in contact with you, find out more about Westpac Group or any of the brands within it, what can they do? Yeah, we've got a fairly decent profile on our on our social media and, and, and websites. Um, so certainly if it's just basic information you're looking for, um, you know, I'd, I'd certainly encourage you to jump onto the various brand platforms to see what's what's going on. We've got a big sort of six to 12 months in front of us. We're pretty pretty excited about the campaigns. We'll be rolling it up shortly. But, you know, look, I'm always up for a chat, as I said, and, and probably email's the best for me. So, um, yeah, drop me an email at pcunningham at westpac.com.au and I'd love to, uh, love to have a chat. Very good. Pat Cunningham, Head of Sponsorship and Events, thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at Westpac Group. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. There's no doubt Pat has a huge job in managing the group and all those brands, and there were lots of interesting points and lessons in that chat. Loved it. So again, thanks to Pat for spending some time with us on the show because I know he is a very busy man. And just a reminder, if you're going to send Pat a sponsorship proposal and you're also sending one to Telstra, make sure your attention to detail is on the ball. That's a wrap for episode 63 of Inside Sponsorship. I hope you loved it. And also, don't forget, if you'd like a shout-out just like Glenn, just get in contact and I'll make it happen for you. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you're too shy to get in contact, help us feel special by leaving a review for us on iTunes. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at Sponserve. And if you want to connect with Sponserve's commercial manager for Australia and New Zealand, Daniel Ferguson, you can catch him on daniel.ferguson at sponserve.net. And of course, you can also find him on LinkedIn. Don't forget that you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Sponserve. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs, and resources, head to sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. LinkedIn.